Thank you for doing that uh, for us. That was great. Uh, Today we continue in our series, uh, The Gift of Christmas, as we look at the gift of a name. And in doing so, uh, we discover that the various names of Jesus speak to his purpose in coming to earth. I invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. If you are in your Bible in the Old Testament and you find Psalms, then take a right. It's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and then Isaiah. Uh, It should be around page 489 in those blue Bibles under the seat in front of you. As you turn there, I invite you to do something with me. Uh, I invite you to think about your name, your entire name, your first, middle, maiden, last name, and then answer this question. Do you like your name? Now, you don't have to answer that question out loud, uh, but one of the things is uh, that all expecting parents face is what are we going to name the baby? Some parents spend hours debating this question. They look at the variety of names that they like. They look up what the different names mean and their origins. For instance, my name is Craig, and Craig's come from this Scottish Gaelic word, Craig, <laughs> meaning a crag or a rock. Uh, Another thing parents do is you run through all the things that would rhyme with the name of your child, right? How it would be abbreviated, the potential nicknames, how it could be mispronounced. As one soon-to-be dad told me before the birth of their daughter, he wanted to go to a middle school playground and give the kids the names they were considering and tell them, do your worst, right? Why? Now, why do all of that? Well, because names matter. And the name you give your child, it's a name they're going to be stuck with for a long time. And just like you had no say in your name, your children have no say in theirs either. But names are important for a variety of reasons, including because of what the name represents. Most people have three names, first, middle, and last. For instance, my name is Craig Michael Casey. Over there is Ashley Nicole Schaefer. My birthday buddy is Malcolm Jeffrey Rogers. Uh, and several other, right? We all, we all have names here, right? But every so often you'll read the name of someone that has four names, such as Stephanie Joanne Angelina Germanata. Anyone know who that is? Okay, it's Lady Gaga, right? Now this one may be a little easier. How about Henry Charles Albert David? Yeah, some of you got that. That's Prince Harry, of course, or Carson Wentz. It kind of depends on how you look at it, right? It seems like if you are royalty if you're, or if you're going to become famous or really important or if you're going to start your own law firm, you're destined to have a few names, which is why we named our son Kale Michael Paul Casey so he would have a head start in that department. But as we approach our celebration of the birth of Jesus, we see that even before his birth, he was a child with many names. The prophet Isaiah, writing some 700 years before Jesus was born to us, told us what his name would be. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This verse reveals four names for Jesus, and each one tells us a little bit about who Jesus is. So this morning, I want to invest a few minutes looking at these four names of Jesus and how they speak to us. The first name Isaiah shares is Wonderful Counselor. Isaiah calls the Messiah the Wonderful Counselor, and this is one of the things uh, that this does is it indicates the kind of character he would have. The word wonderful means astonishing or extraordinary or incomprehensible. It is as if Isaiah is telling us that the Messiah will cause people to be full of wonder. One of the things that's interesting about this word, wonderful, was that it was a much more powerful word when Isaiah wrote this text than the way we view this word today. 
We say things are wonderful if they are pleasant or lovely or the least bit likable. Your Christmas tree looks lo- looks wonderful. He's a wonderful teacher. She's a wonderful boss. Or we use the term sarcastically. Oh yeah, that, that's wonderful. But to say that the Messiah would be called wonderful would have made people slow down and take notice. When this was written, it was understood as such a word that wonderful was to be like God, and thus he would be beyond the normal human understanding. And we see in his life, Jesus demonstrate his wonderfulness in a variety of ways here on earth. His ability to heal, his teachings, his perfect life, his resurrection from the dead. Jesus taught many wonderful things that are counterintuitive to our normal thought process. Things like, the first shall be last. Blessed are those who mourn. Rejoice and be glad in persecution. Love your enemies. And it was not the only, not only the things that Jesus taught and the things he said, but it was also the way he interacted with people. Uh, look at the way he interacted with his disciples, uh, the way he willingly went to the house of Zacchaeus and, and welcomed his life change and, and his heart change. The grace he showed to the woman caught in adultery, the heartbreak at the death of Lazarus, and the compassion he demonstrate, demonstrated when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Countless accounts of how time and time again Jesus demonstrated how he was indeed wonderful. Not only was he to be called wonderful, but the second half of this title is the word counselor, which means advisor or ideal ruler. The ancient Jews would have thought of a wise king, a wise king like Solomon, who gave guidance to his people. We see in the scriptures that Jesus is described as a wise counselor because in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3. And then we see in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus is able to guide us on the right course of action, especially in our time of need. And when we put those two words together for one name, Wonderful Counselor, we see that Jesus, through his words and through his life, he came to guide us, to lead us, to help us follow the path that leads to life and life to the full. One passage of scripture that is especially meaningful to me is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And in verse 6, it tells us that he will make our paths straight. It all points to the truth that we can trust Jesus and he cares for us. What is his name? His name is Wonderful Counselor because we can trust in him. He cares for us and he has the ability to make plans for us, to direct us in our lives. The second name Isaiah shares is Mighty God. Calling the Messiah Mighty God is a statement of deity. The baby born in the manger is not only the Son of God, he's also God the Son. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Uh, There's this ancient creed which expresses it this way. It says he is the very God of very God. That is a unique quality assigned only to Jesus. Mighty means a strong one, the powerful, valiant warrior. Uh, Thus the term is sometimes used to view Jesus as the one who fights for his people. At the incarnation, God took the form of a baby in human flesh. It is this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, the very God of very God. This would have been so very contrary to the way the ancient Jews would have thought of God. They saw God as someone who was far off, someone who was separate, and the only people who could approach him were the priests in the temple. And the priests could only uh, approach him in the temple after a long and detailed purification process. But in proclaiming that the Messiah is the mighty God, that he is Emmanuel, it made God approachable. It made God reachable and attainable. It made God personable. And what is interesting is if you look at the first two names Isaiah gives here, and you look at them together, not just individually, we see that as a wonderful counselor, he makes the plans. And as a mighty God, he makes the plans work. 
the main idea is this. When we meet Jesus, we meet God. And the key part is, if Jesus is not God, then we are foolish to worship him. But if Jesus is God, then we are foolish not to worship him. If Jesus is not a wonderful counselor, if he is not mighty God, then all we do at Christmas time is in vain. And all this talk of Emmanuel, God with us, it's just nonsense. But if he is the wonderful counselor, if he is the mighty God, which I believe he is, then as we rely on him, we rely on God himself. And in our reliance upon God, we find the hope and the love and the joy that we need, not only for today, but for every day of our earthly lives to be experienced fully in eternity. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He's also the everlasting father. Another way to say that would be he is the father of eternity. And when Isaiah gave him this title, it speaks to the purpose of his coming. It indicates that he is before, above, and beyond the confines of time. He is the possessor of eternity. It speaks to his character. The correlation is this. As a good father is to his children, so Jesus is to his people. Because he is father, he cares for his children, for his people. And because he owns eternity, he can eternally care for us. Which is why it's so important for us to put our faith and our trust in him because he is eternal. I invite you to think about it this way. Many of you have met my father. He and my mom, they travel out here to visit a few times each year, and I'm so very fortunate that my parents are still alive and I still have the opportunity to see them. But my father, like his father before him, is not an eternal father. My father someday, and hopefully someday way, way, way in the future, but but someday my father's going to die. Someday I will die, and I will no longer be around for my children. I am not an eternal father, but Jesus is. Someday I will no longer be there to help my children and to answer questions, to offer advice, and to encourage them. But Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is the everlasting father, which is why when our earthly relationships fail, when we're disappointed and frustrated, when when things don't go as we hope or plan or dream, We can rely on our lovingly, everlasting Father. We look to Him and find comfort and ask Him to give us peace. Which brings us to the fourth name Isaiah gives. He is the Prince of Peace. I love this name because of what this name means. It means the Prince whose coming brings peace. This speaks to what happens when Jesus came to earth. Jesus is being called a Prince. It speaks to His high position while the term peace speaks to the basic nature of who he is. Uh, The idea of peace uh, in our world today seems to be such an elusive thing. Right now, all across the globe, there are ethnic conflicts and tribal wars. There are battles and, and fights. Nations are posturing against each other, providing various demonstrations of their power and their might. People are being persecuted for who they are and what they believe. People are killed for speaking out or standing up. There are pipe bombs at our bus stations, explosions at airports, shootings at churches and schools. We see senseless violence and death so often that we've become somewhat desensitized to it and it no longer impacts us like it once did. In the political realm, on sports teams, even in our own family, there's conflict and battles. There's hurt and pain and a true lack of any semblance of peace. And in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, we see God's plan for peace is revealed. Peace is found in the presence of one person, in Jesus, 
the Prince of Peace, the one whose coming brings peace. Peace is found in Jesus, who came as a baby in a manger when he was born in Bethlehem. He is the ultimate expression of peace. And he did not bring peace with power and a show of strength and dominance. He brought peace with love. He brought peace by offering grace and hope. I heard it described like this. In the past, his coming made peace with God. In the presence, those who find in the present, those who find him find peace in their heart when they invite him in. And in the future, his second coming will usher in a kingdom of peace that will last for eternity. And while peace is a wonderful thing, and, and I would suggest something we all desire, it's also so difficult to find in our world. And yet, peace is worth working toward and waiting for. God's ultimate plan for peace is is not in resolutions or treaties or political parties or arms deals. Those things can only offer a temporary peace. God's plan for peace is in the Prince of Peace, the one whose coming brings peace. It is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And while that's all well and good, can I share with you what I think is the best part of this verse? The best part of what Isaiah says is at the beginning, very beginning of this verse. He says, for to us, the gift of Christmas is a gift to us. And that gift is Jesus. Remember what the the prophet or what the angels told the shepherds, a savior has been born to you. The gift of Jesus has been given to me and to you. It's been given to us. And it's a gift that calls for us, us to respond. It's kind of like this. If I were to put a present under your tree for you, you may acknowledge it, you may admire it, and even thank me for it. But it's really not yours. You really cannot enjoy it until you open it up and you make it your own. God's gift of Christmas is a gift he prepared for you. But it's not a gift wrapped in colorful paper with a nice bow on top. Instead, he sent it wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. God gave us Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, and we need to receive it. We are invited to receive this gift, to put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, who is the ultimate Christmas gift. And as I think about what that means, I'm reminded of what Paul said in Philippians 2, when he said, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. And that is something we are invited to do, and it's something we invite you to do as well. If you do not know Jesus, we want to invite you to respond to him, to turn your life over to him, to surrender him, to receive the gift that he gives to you, the gift of life and life to the full.